I'd like us to take notice, just coming off of this gospel reading, of the care with which Jesus' body was dealt with. This has always been the Christian tradition with a funeral, to deal rightfully, lovingly with the body of a saint. And so what we will do when we come together this afternoon is we will dedicate Mr. Ken Hansen to God until the day that he is resurrected. His body for the last year has been lovingly cared for by his family as he was in the process of dying. And we will continue to lovingly care for, care for it as it is buried. Now, I realize death can be difficult for many of us to talk about in detail, and this is completely understandable. There are others of us who find it very easy to talk about, and that creeps some of us out, not to mention any names, Jan. <laughs> Just kidding. Unfortunately, we do have to find a way to speak about it, and it's better if we do this before it becomes necessary. So what I want to talk about this morning is how the Bible orients Christians towards death. Now first, I want to share with you about an article I came across several months ago titled, The Funeral as We Know It is Becoming a Relic, Just in Time for a Death Boom. The death boom here is a reference to the aging baby boomer generation. It's predicted that by the 2030s, deaths in America will outnumber births. The article essentially summarized the way that in America we're turning away from funerals as a time for grieving and toward a time of celebration. For instance, funeral homes in some places have begun hiring event planners, like wedding planners. They've made this just another part of their marketing scheme. They've remodeled the funeral homes, old, the old parlors that now include dance floors and lounge areas, and the standard coffee has been replaced with a bar. In place of clergy and rituals of faith, there are now death celebrants who officiate ceremonies meant to keep things positive on the light side. In fact, the name of one such movement is the Death Positive Movement. This has brought with it another industry of cruises, boat cruises, for the purpose of scattering ashes. So one particular boat captain does about 600 cremains dispersals a year, and his business is growing at 15 to 20% per year. He says, it makes it a celebration of life and not such a morbid affair. Do you notice that all these patterns minimize grief. They seem to tell a story that grief is not important, and in spite all the language of celebration, they seem to suggest that death isn't all that bad. What are Christians supposed to think about death? What should our funerals look like? What should the tone be? Now, the Bible doesn't give us a plan for funerals. But it does orient us toward death, and that should shape what we choose to do. So first, this morning, death is an enemy. This is our first orientation toward death. Death is an enemy. 
We're going to speak later this afternoon of Mr. Ken's death as partly a blessing. This is fine. But we only say this because death had already done its worst work for a year. Diminishing him day after day and month after month. Death can become a blessing, but we're never meant to fully praise it as if death is our friend. We must remember where death fits in the story of Scripture and in the story of God's good creation. It is an intruder. It's a tyrant in every form. So in Genesis, we encounter the first humans. They're set apart by God to serve the world and to spread God's goodness into the creation. They're also warned by God. If you rebel, you'll introduce a new tragic element in the world. You will die. The language is actually more emphatic than this. It translates literally to dying, you shall die. But the serpent, the serpent is a chief liar. He is a chief deceiver. He tells the woman, matching the same emphatic language of God, but with a negative attached to it, you will not dying die. This denial of death, the denial of a penalty or a consequence for sin and rebellion, this is at the foundation of the devil's lies. Of course, The man and woman's decision to listen to the serpent turns into this far-reaching catastrophe. The world begins to slide into chaos. It starts within their own family, but it spreads into every nook and cranny of the creation. The Bible is the story of our world. And within the Bible, this is where death begins. The creation is good and beautiful, beautiful, but with the fall, evil and death took hold within humanity, within the creation, and they wreak havoc. All of this is matched by what we hear in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that Debbie read from. In Adam, all die. And this is what we're told in verse 26. The last enemy to be defeated by Christ is death. Now we do have to pay careful attention to the order in which Christ conquers things. It could be easy to slip into thinking that death has already been fully defeated by Christ's resurrection. If you want the technical language for this, it's called an over-realized eschatology. Okay? You want to say that? Over-realized eschatology. What that means is, it's already done. In other words, there's no suffering. We don't have to worry about anything anymore. Don't be sad. Life is good. Death, no big deal. It's not what this says. Paul would say that death has begun to be defeated. It is still to be defeated in full when Christ returns, renews all things, raises the dead, and transforms our bodies into the likeness of His resurrected body. Until then, death is still our enemy. It maintains a sting. Paul speaks in the future tense in verse 54 of the same chapter that Debbie read from us. From. Then shall come to pass the saying it is written. It hasn't come to pass yet. Then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? In Christ there is victory, but for now there is still a sting. 
So whether death is by a drunk driver at 52 or by slow and painful diminishment at 92, we're speaking about the same affliction, our final enemy, death. It steals, it kills, and it destroys. It does maintain its sting for now, and it disorients those who are left here For a Christian funeral to tell a true story of Scripture, it must always hold up death as the enemy that it is. The temporary mode of reality destined for final defeat. First, death is an enemy. And this brings us to another point, and I'm going to make it quickly but firmly. Death should be grieved. It should be grieved. Our culture is growing less and less comfortable with grief. We've tried to put all our feelings at bay by living faster and less tethered to place and to family. Christians aren't immune. We quickly band-aid our grief with shallow comforts and anecdotes about positivity. But the Scriptures never aim to cut short our grief. Instead, they affirm it only with the instruction that we should grieve with hope not despair. Grief at death is human. Some will grieve more than others. We will grieve in different ways. Some will grieve alone and some with others. But grief is part of being truly human. To try to carterize grief is inhuman. To put a spin on death as something completely positive, that is inhuman. We're grateful for Ken's death. That does not mean that death is a good thing. It doesn't mean we don't grieve to have lost him. I saw his bed yesterday evening. His sheets are folded up. He's not there. Where he spent much of the last year. I miss seeing him. We grieve that his bodily presence is gone from us. Grief does not display a lack of faith or a lack of gratitude to God. It doesn't. Lastly, Christ has transformed death into a gain. We can still say this. Christ has transformed death into a gain. Christians live in an odd place, caught in tensions of all kinds in our lives. We are compassionate, yet we're morally firm. We're forgiving of sin, but we're not affirming of sin. We're generous to others, but we don't seek to enable others. Don't you feel the tensions that we try to live in in life? With death, we live in a similarly strange tension. Jesus has has made death into a gateway. Heaven and earth are separated by a thin veil, and death brings us into the other side with Christ. This is why Paul can say, to live is Christ, to die is gain. This is where Ken and Kent are. They're with the communion of saints. They surround us in the words of Hebrews chapter 12, and they inspire us to let go of the sin that so easily entangles us. They're with us now, and they're saying, why would you keep on doing that? It's not worth it. Trust me. Death has become gain for them. We rejoice with them. We praise Christ that we have some deep and abiding reason for rejoicing right now. But the sting of death is still there. This is the tension. 
In fact, strangely, because Christians know that death is an enemy, that it isn't meant to be part of our world, death's sting is deeper for Christians. And this, again, is why grief is so essential to being truly human. This is why Christ wept when he encountered death at the tomb of Lazarus, because death is the tyrant. It does not have a long-term place in God's good creation. And Jesus' resurrection, His transformation of death into gain, has given us a promise of this. We know this isn't meant to be. And so it's painful that we have to live with it for this time. How should we be oriented toward death? It is an enemy. It is to be grieved. It has been and it will be transformed. Now, for Church of the Lamb, our life together as a community, our care for each other in our suffering and in our death should tell this story for the world. We will need to care for each other in our deaths. Ken has given us the privilege of being able to tell this story with him. The story of God's loving creation fractured by evil, but the promise within it of healing and redemption through Jesus Christ. This is the story that a Christian death tells. It's our job as a community to help tell this story. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.